This episode of PF's Tape Recorder is brought to you by Home Shirts Cleveland. For all of your Northeast Ohio vintage t-shirt needs, visit homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. You'll also find links to the original Cincy Shirts site, as well as Home Shirts Indianapolis, with more cities to come. That's homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. Now, on with the show. Hi, this is Carmen Apino, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. For those of you under 30, Google Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, normally mild-mannered comedian Paul Mercurio sometimes just goes off. And so what I see happening is I'm just going to snap and probably take out a supermarket. I get to a lot of confrontations and customer service situations. Like I almost got arrested on Amtrak because I got in a fight with the conductor. We have more hilarious stories from Paul in just a bit. We have some income inequality nonsense from Bill O'Reilly, the hottest record in the world. But first, as always, fake news. Now, fake news with me. Native American actors quit Adam Sandler's new movie over offensive stereotypes. First he said he was going to pay them, then he said he wasn't. Coke Industries, one of the nation's largest private companies, has removed questions about prior criminal convictions from its job applications, becoming the latest corporation to join a burgeoning movement trying to make it easier for ex-offenders to find work. The move will also make it easier to hire former politicians and Wall Street bankers at Coke Industries. (laughs) Just kidding. No one on Wall Street ever goes to jail. Loretta Lynch was finally confirmed as the new attorney general this past Friday. Upon her appointment, Lynch promises to uphold the Constitution, ensure that law enforcement agencies are acting responsibly, and to finally get around to gathering up all of America's guns and giving them to the U.N. like Eric Holder promised he was going to do. In Canada, a teenager is accused of driving 199 kilometers per hour on a highway near Peterborough, Ontario. In the U.S., people were stunned by this story after they googled how fast 199 kilometers per hour is. It's 123. That is fast. While speaking with Howard Stern this past Tuesday, Avengers Age of Ultron star Robert Downey Jr. discussed in detail the reasons why he walked out of an interview with British journalist Kershaw Guru Murthy. Guru Murthy asked Downey about his politics, his drug addictions, and his jail time. It discussed that Downey walked out of the interview saying he was going to lie down in a stranger's house. It was less than a month ago that veteran offensive tackle Joe Thomas of the Cleveland Browns publicly questioned Johnny Manziel's commitment to football. However, this past week, Thomas told Andrea Kramer of NFL Media that since returning to the Cleveland Browns facilities, the young quarterback has been night and day from where he was last year. Now, instead of partying at night, he also parties during the day. Twitter reports disappointing sales this week due largely to the fact that it doesn't sell anything. Now that the ice is cleared with the spring thaw, Lake Michigan is clear enough that shipwrecks lying on the lake bottom can be seen from the air. In a related story, the East River in New York is also so clear you can see former mob informants from the air. And finally, Hillary Clinton said this week that all police departments should equip officers with body cameras. That will improve transparency and accountability and will help protect good people on both sides of the lens, she said. While some of law informants balked at the extra expense, Hillary noted that even her husband wears one. And that's been Fake News with me. So the thing I was going to talk about this week, uh, I started to worry might not be relevant because uh, 
of all the big story going on in Baltimore, of course, uh, with the riots, which, um, well, that's a whole other story really to kind of uh, drill down into and uh, really take apart. But one aspect of it actually fits right in with what I was going to talk about, and that is income inequality. Uh, a lot of people saying that a lot of this, you know, well, yes, it's, I think it's a lot of young people using it as an excuse to go, you know, to go haywire because that's just what young people do. Uh, and not only in, in, in urban environments, but just look anywhere, go to any college campus after a sports triumph and see all the, uh, all the destruction that goes on there. See, it's just uh, any excuse to, to go nuts. And in fact, real quickly, uh, I was watching NBC Nightly News. Uh, they were showing uh, aerial footage in Baltimore, and yes, there was some destruction going on and some some craziness. But they showed a cell phone store, and uh, and uh, Lester Holt was saying you can see the the store being looted. Well, no, it wasn't being looted. There were a bunch of what looked like adult men outside, crowded around, blocking it, pushing people away, shooing people away, saying get away from the store. There was nobody walking out with anything. So I think the store must have been uh, hit. But then people gather on and said, hey, no, no, you can't do that, and tried to get people away from the store, okay? So anyway, getting back to the income inequality thing, um, and this is from a couple of weeks ago, coincidentally, because this has you know, been on people's minds for a while now, but you know who's got a handle on income inequality? A wealthy white man. The taxes are everywhere on affluent Americans and business profits. But for the rest of Americans, things aren't so bad. Yes, it's a great time to be poor and middle class in America. <laughs> it's a horrible time to be rich. There's so much crap in Bill O'Reilly's talking points here that I, I have to hold a handkerchief to my nose lest I get the vipers and I'm overcome. Now, uh, O'Reilly's nonsense uh, starts off with, with this old canard. But it is the notion that somehow our capitalistic system has gone corrupt. Because it has. And the feds much punish those making money. That'll be in the forefront of the 2006 campaign. And there it is. They always go to that. We're punishing the rich for making money. It's They're punishing them. And this works so well. Because if you're making more money than somebody else, anybody else, even someone you don't know, and you're paying more taxes, you're being punished. Hey, makes perfect sense, right? So anyway, and that, that bit at the end is talking about Hillary Clinton. Uh, the whole talking point thing started with him saying that Hillary Clinton thinks she's going to be able to help solve income inequality, even though he used to be O'Reilly. So I won't play that clip for you. I'll do my O'Reilly impression for you. Even though there are reports that she makes as much money as many C corporate CEOs, or more money than many corporate CEOs, which is true, by the way. Um, but see, that would be a story if you were to come to me and say, hey, Hillary Clinton makes a lot of money, and she she pays the people that work for her like next to nothing. Remember that Lena Dunham thing, uh, the, the lady that makes the show Girls? She was going out on some kind of a book tour, and she wanted people to kind of be like kind of an opening act for her book signing, but she didn't want to pay them. That's a big story. There's someone who's supposed to be a progressive and forward-thinking and is backward-thinking on something like that, okay? That's a story. But Hillary Clinton saying she wants to help income inequality, even though she makes a lot of money, is not a story to me. It's a story if she's not paying her people or if she has, like, uh, you know, illegal, uh, undocumented workers working in her house for, like, 50 cents an hour. That's a story. Okay. Then O'Reilly goes back to the tax thing and points out that uh, the top tax bracket pays 40% of their income in taxes, and there's something even worse. In fact, the USA has the highest tax rate on business in the world. Here's the problem. First of all, O'Reilly is right with an asterisk. See, the problem is, is that there are a lot of corporations that don't pay any tax at all. They pay zero uh, I, now, I'm no big city mathematician, uh, doing an impression of my friend Jim Lugers, who was in a short film called The Day the uh, 
the day America called in fat, he played a uh, southern lawyer, and it was very funny. I'm no big city mathematician, but I think zero is way less than the than the highest corporate tax rate in the world. Okay, so um, and by the way, uh, our individual uh, tax rate is kind of high, but when you look at other uh, industrialized countries in the world, I'll, I'll just go through it alphabetically here. Australia, 49%. Belgium, 64%. Uh, let me see. I know Denmark's is pretty high. Denmark's is like 75% or something crazy like that. 61% is Denmark. So they're paying way more in individual uh, taxes than we are. O'Reilly has mentioned that. It's the corporations that are getting, getting punished. And there's two aspects to this uh, as well. Uh, first of all, there's this. Uh, as you can see, we've had uh, companies still are not spending. The mountain of cash still in corporate vaults climbing now at a record $1.4 trillion in the fourth quarter. That, according to FactSet. This is from Fox Business News, by the way. What can get the spending engine back up and running? Robert Van Battenberg is with me today, Associate General Market Strategist. He joins us here. Robert, good to see you. Hi, how Thank are you? Thank you so much for joining us. So yes. wh where, where are you on these ones? And first of all, I think she uh, says rotten before she corrects it to Robert, which I think is very telling. Anyway, she talks to this nitwit, and he goes into this whole, uh, we should feel sorry for corporate. There's so much uncertainty. We, we don't know what's going to go with interest rates. We don't know what's going to happen with this. We don't have the Here's the thing. If you're investing, that's what risk is. And I've said this before. If, if you're a person, and you start a business and you mortgage your house and I know a lot of people that have done this by the way and you mortgage your house to start that business and the business succeeds you should be rich you should have a bigger house you should you should have all the trappings that come with that that's the, these guys want to like invest money and have absolutely no risk even though they have trillions and trillions of dollars well billions and billions they have a lot of money let's put it that way okay so so that's that's the the the, the bs of that argument right there now i'm going to blow your minds Although, if you've heard the show before, you've heard me mention this, so it might not blow all of your minds. But anyway, uh, the folks over at NPR's Planet Money, liberal NPR, doing that in quotes because they are the furthest thing from liberal, especially the show I'm about to quote. Uh, there's a podcast called Planet Money, highly recommended, by the way. They explain the economy to lay people. And uh, the guys that host it are certainly not liberals. Uh, they enjoy the free market. They are economists. They enjoy when the economy works and they enjoy things economical. I would say they're definitely uh, just a touch right of center, but they're not crazy, of course. Anyway, they uh, got together and asked six economists across the spectrum, liberal, conservative, to uh, come up with a campaign platform for a fictitious politician. And a lot of these ideas they had are unpopular. But, and, but there's one they all agreed on. They agreed on several. They agreed on one that was very interesting. No taxes for corporations. Zero, nada, nothing. That's the voice of their fictitious candidate delivering that uh, plank of the platform. But our conservative and liberal economists agree, in principle at least. Here's Dean Baker. We don't want to prevent Microsoft or General Motors, whoever it might be, from investing more and in improving their product line. That That's a good thing in my view. Our economists said if you want to tax rich people as part of public policy, tax rich people, tax the owners of the corporation, but don't tax the profits from the corporation that are reinvested in creating jobs. So don't tax corporations. Now, that sounds counterintuitive, especially if you're a progressive. You're like, whoa, whoa, they're making the most money. They're making more even than the people working for them. Of course, you should tax corporations. But what do we always say, especially like about climate change, is we say trust the experts. And even though I think climate sciences may be a little more exact than uh, economics, uh, these are still experts. And they studied this and they know this. So if the experts say tax the corporation, don't tax, I'm sorry, don't tax the corporations, but tax the people that work for them, well, then I'm inclined to say, don't tax the corporations. And here's the other thing. Back in the 1950s, and I always hear this, and I think this can't possibly be true. Back in the 1950s, the top tax bracket 
paid 90% of their income in taxes. And I always looked up and go, there's no way that is true. And you know what? It's true. Not that many people made enough money to be in that tax bracket, but the very top percent of the, of income earners paid 90%. So if the economy didn't crash back then, Bill O'Reilly, I'm pretty sure it's not going to crash now if you're paying 40%. Okay. Now O'Reilly does offer this. Yes, there is a big gap between the very rich and the working class here. Don't get too excited, though. But how much more, how much more can a government take from the affluent without crashing the entire free market economy? Well, judging from the 1950s and from our European and uh, other industrialized allies, it seems like it'd be quite a bit. The real question is, how much more money can corporations sit on before they reinvest that into the workforce, hire more people, and maybe give people a little bit of a raise? And that's been today's Talking Points. Paul Mercurio is a headlining stand-up comedian you've seen on all the cable chat shows. He is an Emmy Award-winning writer from The Daily Show. He still works over there uh, doing warm-up for the live audiences when he's in New York City. But normally he's too busy for that because he's just involved in tons and tons and tons of other projects, including his own podcast. Here now is our interview with Paul Mercurio. Hey, joining us on PF State Recorder is the return of Paul Mercurio. Paul, how you doing? Good, man. How are you? It's been ages since we folk spoke officially uh, for like podcasting or journalistic purposes, although I know we speak from time to time uh, otherwise. But yes. um, what's what's new with you, man? I know you always got something going. You're always busy. You always have at least three or four projects going <laughs> right. uh, at once. Well, we have a... Um, officially, I've got a uh, great showrunner writer uh, working on developing my life story. Okay. Uh, being a former com- former lawyer, investment banker turned comedian... <laughs> Uh, and I'm, uh, we're developing that in Los Angeles uh, with a great writer named John Regi, who was executive producer and writer on uh, 30 Rock. Okay. And director from 30 Rock, a guy named Don Scardino. And we're working on developing this idea of a guy who thinks he's got his life figured out, which is what I thought I had, and then gets uh, bitten by this bug to do comedy uh, while he's doing these huge merger deals on Wall Street. And living the secret double life where I would sneak out of work and I go to dive bars uh, like uh, called Downtown Beirut 2. Oh, I remember that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, apparently, you know, like I always say, they were must have been franchising these, these hell holes. Or, yeah, because was, and, that was uh, Or Israeli fighters took out the first one, I'm not sure. And, uh, huh. and dealing with drunk hecklers and then going back and, and doing my Wall Street thing. And... Um, so we're working on that now. We're really excited about that because it's a sh- it's a show idea that seems to resonate with a lot of people because there's a lot of people that, you know, um, you know, like yourself, a great writer, but you really want to be a male stripper, and right. we all know that about you. That's and true. You you know, uh, eventually you will come out and exp- re- reveal <laughs> that, like Bruce Jenner, Jenner did in a Diane Sawyer interview. <laughs> uh, I am a man who wears a T-shirt to the swimming pool. <laughs> Although I'm very, I'm I'm pro nudity, but I'm also pro modesty. So for other right. people, it's fine. But right. for me, if I'm by myself, great. If not, I'm wearing a t-shirt at least, and uh, you know. And well, I think the world is pro P.F. Wilson non nudity. Yeah, right? yeah. I think, and, and rightly so. 
Yeah. Um, so what else have and, you got going on? Because uh, you, you got that. Now, well, let me, wait, wait, hold on. Let me back up for a second because I was curious. I had a question about the show. Will the show, like the pilot, be you chucking Wall Street and going into comedy? Or will, like, the first maybe season be you living the dual life and then breaking? Or is ah, that yet to be determined? Ah, excellent question. You what's, could what's be a the, network executive. What's the story? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Pitch this to me. network executive. Um, <laughs> I would say it would um, – we're sort of playing around with that right now. Okay. That's, like, I, m- my gut is it would be – you know, there's a lot of comedy in the double life, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, like one time I got a guy got his neck slashed on. I don't know. Did I ever tell you the story? And Yes, uh, and he, he was throwing uh, wadded up bloody napkins at you? Napkins yeah, at yeah, me. yeah. Another time a guy made me take him before I had that was opening for me. He made me take him to the Bronx to get Coke before the show. I don't know, I didn't know that one. drive to the show and then he, I don't think I ever told you this story. He, no. Uh, he took... The end of his act was to take a giant piece of nasal floss, a floss, and floss his nasal passages with it through his oh, mouth. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard this. I heard you told this on your podcast. Yeah, but yeah, I, yeah, I never, I never told you. No, that. no. And uh, yeah. So, so, and then sort of juxtaposing those moments with being with these titans of the universe doing M and A deals where. The guy flies in on a helicopter. He's worth like $2 billion. He's got a hooker on one arm, huh. comes into the meeting, barks out a bunch of orders, and then leaves and you know spends the night doing blow with hookers in like a penthouse at the Waldorf. So those are the two juxtapositions of the world. So it'll, it definitely will start out like where I'm trying to figure out my life and then yeah. where does it go from there, you know? Well, as I recall, too, um, and I didn't actually know this until I, again, I heard this on your podcast. I didn't know the the, uh, the, the sub-story to your story is that you went back to Wall Street for a little bit because a buddy of yours begged you to come back and said, I got a great job for you, and you did, but still did comedy. So I don't know if there's an overall arc to the show, if it's kind of a dramedy thing. Maybe there's that, you know, that pull and fro in season two. You're kind of like torn between, well, can I make this work or should I go back to Wall Street? So I got, you know, I think, this, I yeah, think the show has legs, yeah. Paul. I think the show has legs. Yeah, it's got it's got <laughs> legs, as they say. Yeah, they, uh, they it. What happened was I I it really I went back because I was I thought I made a mistake. I, yeah. I was really upset and like I thought I threw my life away. And I'm like, oh, what am I gonna do? And blah blah blah, and this and that. And one thing leads to another. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Um, um I should just go back and keep making money again. And yeah. so I was living in a rooming house with a. Uh, two ex-cons, two recovering addicts, and a 300-pound phone sex operator who sold Herbalife diet products door-to-door. Those are my neighbors. And I was in a 10-by-12 hop room with a hot pot on the floor, and I basically was living a miserable life as a comic, getting stiffed on money. I mentioned having to drive, you know, a-hole headliners to gigs and and I was like, what have I done with my life? So I went back and a friend and buddy of mine was starting up a department at the investment bank and said, uh, you want to come and make some money? I'm like, all right. And uh, I basically uh, went back and recreated my life and then was miserable. Like two months in, I, I had sworn off comedy. I'm like, I'm yeah. never going to do it again. And then boom, two months later, I was doing it again like a you know alcoholic trying to <laughs> get a you know drink again. And I... And then eventually, what I did was it, the weird thing that happened was I shot a TV show, did like seven minutes of stand up on a TV show, and I, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I uh, basically forgot about it. And I was 
uh, at a client's office in Arizona and he comes into the office and he goes, hey, I saw you on TV last night. I'm like, no. He goes, yeah, I did. I saw you were doing some kind of a stand-up routine. No, no, no. <laughs> well, they had aired the show and I forgot about it and he saw it and I was like, oh, man, I'm dead. And he just held this long pause and this is in front of like all other lawyers and bankers. He goes, hey, man, it was great. My investment banker's a comedian. How great is that? <laughs> hey, everybody, let's go out and see the guy. I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't want to come out. And what happened was um, that was a moment in my life that I needed. It kind of humanized me to him um, because of what didn't make me just a money-grubbing, you know, investment banker guy. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's people that find that interesting. That's when I kind of gave myself permission to really embrace doing comedy and stuff like that. Aha. Uh-huh. Then how long was it before you jumped out of banking? I guess forever at that point. That was the yeah. It was like a couple more months of keeping that job, and then I uh, and then I eventually just left and said, you know what? Because I wasn't happy in my second tour of duty, as as they say, <laughs> yeah. on Wall Street. You know, and I literally recreated my life after the leaving the first times. The first time I was just like I sold everything, sold my apartment, moved to this rooming house. But it was really getting. I was miserable. I got audited by the IRS. Oh, geez. Um, then my car got flooded in a big uh, rainstorm and got flooded under four feet of salt water. All this was happening when I was trying to make a go of it as a comedian, and I'm like, "Oh, this is miserable. I got to get out of this." <laughs> and 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 the one of the big moments was uh, because my car was corroded. All of the electrical connections like started to become compromised yeah so when i would drive it at night my lights would just flash <laughs> on and off on their own <laughs> and people in the other direction would be flashing their lights at me acknowledging that i was flashing them but i wasn't a yeah yeah it's funny it was like their lights were a morse code of like a reminder of how everything was bad for me like there was like as though there was message was like what have you done with your life you've thrown everything away what are you crazy and the auditor was like questioning me like Where's all the money? I'm like, uh, you know, I, I left Wall Street to be a comedian. He goes, yeah, right. Nobody would. <laughs> Seriously, how? I go, no, really. He goes, no. Where's the money? And I literally had to bring my lawyer in to, uh, you know, uh, basically, uh, you know, testify, if you will, on my behalf. Yeah, vouch for you. Um, so your second go round in comedy, though, you were getting steady work. Were you getting better gigs, or were you back in a rooming house? How did the second tour of um, comedy no, I just moved to a smaller apartment in New York and I just started you know kind of really working really hard at getting these gigs and getting these things and uh, I basically um, you know eventually started to build my way up and then got hired on the Daily Show as a writer and an occasional performer and that's then that kind of opened up a whole bunch of other doors you know yeah now how long did you write for the Daily Show Seven years. Okay, and why yeah. did why did you leave that? You just want to do more touring and and did you have other gigs going or development deals? Uh, just cocaine took a hold of my <laughs> life. And I had to uh, no, um, yeah, it was just like you you know sort of done a, a lot of things on the show and oh, okay. do, and the show was it takes up all of your time. It's a very labor demanding job. I'd imagine, a, yeah, yeah, very demanding job. So I. Um, I basically um, felt like a lot of opportunities to do stuff as a performer were being missed, and oh, so yeah, yeah. basically, 
you know, said, um, that's not what I want to do anymore. And, you know, really want to, and, and, you know, focus on doing my TV appearances, which I do on like ESPN and the cable news shows and that kind of stuff. And, um, and, uh, you know, uh, also just going to Los Angeles and having to work on my show and stuff like that. Uh, so I just needed to free up my time. Well, plus you always have that itch more to perform. We're, oh, yeah. We're up, the writing like, was always secondary. The writing yeah. just happened to come along, and it was like I took it thinking the show would get canceled after a month or two, and uh, it, it, <laughs> See, it turned the... into like getting Emmy and Peabody Awards and all this other stuff. I'm like, oh, this thing's pretty real. <laughs> so I probably I stuck around for more than enough time and it was and I still uh, I still do the audience warm up on the show when I'm in town just yeah you know which is good good way to stay connected to the show you know yeah Um, I'm the reverse I would rather write than I mean I'll perform fine you know I do trivia shows I like doing those I'll you know I do stand up you know do an open mic occasionally but really it's I have more fun doing uh, this nonsense and writing dumb bits and and things like that it's kind of funny how we're you know people kind of settle where they're uh, you know were there, were yeah, I was always like. restless as a writer there, you know, it yeah. was great, but like, and I learned a lot and great, and great credits, but like, you know, I just like having the ability to, um, be able to, uh, um, have like my voice be heard, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. not like constantly be feeding someone else. Um, and so... Um, it's the reason I left Wall Street, you know, right. I gave up a lot, you know, so I just felt like I needed to stay true to that. that makes sense. Do you think the uh, show will change? No, it, it changed a lot when uh, Kilborn left and John came in. Do you think it'll change a lot when John leaves? I or think it's going to be a lot of uh, animal segments and cooking segments. That's <laughs> pretty much going to be it. It's going to be, uh, it's going to basically be the Today Show uh, only not as saccharine sweet to the point where you want to put a bullet in your mouth. Um, no, I think it'll change eventually to sort of reveal, reflect the, that the whole new host persona. But the core of it won't change. All these people are staying. That show, they don't, they don't want that show to change significantly in that sense. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't think so. I mean, I think it'll still be... And it's still the show it was when Kilborn was there and Liz Winstead was running it with Madeline Smithberg in the sense that, you know, it focuses on stuff in the news and makes satire of it. Although our focus with John was more about the politics and the media's coverage of politics. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, So, and what I think your your friend Stephen Colbert will do over uh, on CBS um, I think Steven is uh, probably going to get canceled after 13 weeks. I don't see that, I don't see that kid sticking around at all. <laughs> nah. um, and, uh, you know, he he's, you know, nothing, I'm not judging it, big big cross-dresser. He hasn't been talking about that at all. He, he's uh, upset with Bruce Jenner. He's, he feels Bruce Jenner stole his thunder because Steven was going to announce his propensity to want to really be a woman just before the launch of his new show to get press. And so Stephen's not happy right now. Uh, No, I think he's going to be fantastic. He's really, really smart. And that character is still his comedy. Yeah. And so people, you know, what's his comedy? be like, it's going to be, you know, uh, smart, funny. And so he's also quirky. So I bet you there's going to be some quirky sketches and things like that. And he's a really nice guy and he's a good interviewer. So... I think I think he's a really good, you know, for that time slot and that 
you know, the likability factor is really high. I think he's going to be great. Yeah, I think of all those openings that came up, you know, everybody, a lot of comedians speculated when all these other shows opened up and questioned, you know, whether it was the right pick. But that's the only one to me that was a slam dunk. That's like, oh, yeah, no question. That's, that's the perfect pick. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you've got, look, in James Corden, he's good, but you have a guy with no talk show experience at all hosting a show. Yeah. Seems to be doing fine. So, like, I, you know, Stevens only is so prepared for this and, you know, really smart, funny writer. I think, I think all of that's going to come through. And, um, I don't, again, I think they're just putting the show together. So <clears throat> they're not sure yet what exactly it's going to be, but, you know, it'll be probably look like a lot of the other talk shows at that time of night, but have his sort of stamp on it. You exactly. Know? Yeah. So uh, you joined the podcasting ranks uh, about a year, year and a half ago, uh, mm-hmm. I reckon. And boy, it's been going really well, I think. Um, it seems like so many comedians feel they have to have a podcast. And yeah. there are a lot of interview podcasts. But really, um, for folks who haven't listened to the Paul Mercurio show yet, you seem to get guests that aren't on other podcasts. And some that you think, well, why hasn't this guy... Like, Larry Miller's a perfect example. I've never heard him on a podcast before, but he's a comedian. He knows all you guys. Like, what? That's strange. He's never been on one before. That was a great interview. I love that. And then, of course, you uh, talked to Jason Jones from The Daily Show. Fascinating interview with him. That was one of my favorites. And, of course, Sir Paul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I resisted wanting to do a podcast because of what you said. There's a lot of comedians have one, but I, I really love the talk format i like to watch charlie rose all night or tavis smiley i used to watch talk shows with my mom because she always loved them and like oh yeah i think the long form interview is a lost art in some way so i like doing them i ron perlman was really interesting cat like really deep esoteric uh you know yeah. he's a great actor another guy you would you would ne- i've never heard on a podcast before even really seen yeah. on a talk show for that matter thomas friedman columnist for the new york times yes Neil- Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, that was a great one. Yeah, recommended. Um, <clears throat> where he talks about actually tr- thinking because he was a dancer in, in college and grad school and to make extra money. His friends were, were stripping at clubs and he thought about doing that for about five minutes and then went to see them do it and thought otherwise. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, that was funny. You never, never think of one of the most brilliant guys in the world thinking about that kind of thing. So yeah. um, I just like to talk to people that I'm interested in talking to. I think have an interesting life story and because I'm trying to get people to kind of, in keeping with my story of like figuring out what you want to do, have people see that um, it's not, even for people at the highest level, if you achieved a lot, they were lost in the beginning. You know, there's a guy uh, that I interviewed, Stan Wortlieb. He basically is one of the people that feeds all the pictures to the Lionsgate film. He's a huge movie Hollywood producer, billion, million dollar movies all the time. Huge guy. And he was lost until he was like 35. He was kind of traveling the world. And he talks about it like smoking weed and just... And then he eventually figured out this business. And he's one of the most powerful movie producers in Hollywood. So I think that that's a story that should be out there because it. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that are kind of lost. They're not sure what they want to do. So And I, and I also like them to be entertaining and funny. So Oh, yeah. And so one of the projects we have, in addition to my... T- my scripted half hours we shot two episodes uh of my podcast essentially as a talk show in front of a live audience oh yeah i've done that and um we did it as a four camera shoot i have an opening a monologue where i do a q a with the audience 
and we uh, we have interested buyers in that. So that's the other project that I'm working on is getting that to air as a TV show. Oh, okay. So you fancy moving on to like making it a, a actual video talk show, or is this just something that uh, you know we'll see what happens and it's it, it could be enjoyable or no to make it a TV to make it a television show like a talk show that would be on TV. Ah, very good. Cool. With an audience and you know, I shot it with my daily show experience like a TV show. You if you yeah. look at it, it looks like it could be on the it could be on a network right now. Awesome. Who were who were the guests for that one? Or are you one was Gilbert Godfrey. Oh yeah, yeah. And the other was Bobcat Goldthwaite. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've I've uh, talked to both of those guys. They've neither been on the podcast, unfortunately. See, I'm limited to whoever is coming to Minneapolis and Cincinnati, basically, as far as who I can get for guests for the most <laughs> part. So uh, a lot of hockey players and baseball lot, players. Yeah, right? No, not not even. Yeah, and occasionally we'll we we'll trick a musician to be on, or um, some people will you know do the uh, the podcast even if they don't have a, a date to promote in one of those cities. So uh, you know it works out. Yeah, yeah. and so you know like. But the the point of like the Gilbert one, we aired the audio already, but we haven't shown these anywhere yet. We want to hold them until okay. we sell them, and you'll hear like Gilbert talk about like I really, you know, Gilbert's known to be on and very funny all the time. But yes, I also gave him moments where I really wanted him to just be him and talk about why he does these inappropriate jokes right after disasters, and he talks yeah. about it in a serious way and. It's really interesting and compelling, and he talks about his son, and he's really like how much he loves his son and how he bonds with his son and stuff that you don't normally see him do because he goes on uh, yeah, yeah. talk shows and he's got six minutes and he just he's got to be killer funny, you know, right? Um, and he is, and and um, and then same thing with Bobcat where he talks about his um, you know, his career in the 80s and how big he was and how unhappy he was and how he finally found happiness in writing and making these small films and how his perception of what was success had changed. And it got really deep, but still funny and entertaining in places, but why he set The Tonight Show set on fire, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and so, you know, just, <clears throat> you know, just a, you know, really interesting conversation about... Um, that goes deeper than what you normally get to see, and that's the point of the show. Yeah, it's funny when you mention Bobcat like that. It seems he's you know uh, not only in his stage persona, obviously, but overall seems to have mellowed. And do you find yourself mellowing as you go along, or you seem to be doing so many things? I can't imagine you ever relaxing because, like I said, you've got at least three or four projects always going. Yeah, uh, and I, there's another one that I haven't even mentioned. It's another talk show. <laughs> it's no, I don't relax. That's what my wife says to me. Like I'm constantly feeling like I should be doing something or yeah. doing the next thing. And um, and so what I see happening is I'm just going to snap and probably take out a supermarket or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it manifests itself when I get into, I get into a lot of confrontations and customer service situations. Like I almost got arrested on Amtrak because I got in a fight with the conductor and he stopped the train for a half hour and had oh my to come. And I almost got arrested in the, uh, in Manhattan because I pulled my pants down and told the guy to, you know. See, I can't uh, imagine being that highly strung. I mean, I know you're intense and you're you know you got that you know that intense stage pattern and all that other stuff. But I, off stage, I just I don't know just from just from talking to you over the yeah, years. No, I don't. It's usually not, but like there'll be moments. Oh, okay. Where just... I feel like if the world's unjust, that I have to say something. <laughs> oh, okay. Like last night was a perfect example. I was flying back. 
from Orlando to New York. And, you know, everybody, when they start to see that the plane's ready to board, everybody kind of jockeys to get up. Oh, yeah. Get, which is a ridiculous thing because you're getting seated by zones. Right. So, <clears throat> um, they first, so these two guys, two Italian guys, because I could hear them talking and they had their passports out, they immediately walk like right up to where you put your thing out to have it scanned. Yeah. This is before she makes an announcement. Now, you know that the first announcement is anybody, you know, who's in a wheelchair or whatever. Then it's anybody with little kids in strollers. Then it's like platinum gold. You know, you have like, you know, you have so much money that you poop thousand dollar bills. <laughs> right. And they're standing there and they're like in the way. And they're like, you know, people in wheelchairs are trying to get by them. And then people and then and then like the woman says, please move back. And they move back like two feet but they're still like standing like right there and then on i'm standing right there because i'm sky priority on this particular flight so i was about to be next but i'm off to the side and then me being me like nine this is where my wife's like just let it go i have to say something and i just go to the guy what did, i go what are you doing he goes oh what the what i go why are you standing in the middle don't you see people in wheelchairs and babies are trying to get by you where are you going do you think the plane's going to leave without you? I go, get back there. Get out of the way. <laughs> well, what? I, I'm a Sky Prairie. I go, I understand that, but they're going to call you and you'll walk up. You're just right in the way. Where are you going? Yeah. And, then he got, and then he just looked at me and he goes, I go, it's like you've never flown before. And he goes, no, I have. And I knew he had. See, that was my <laughs> yeah, lawyer yeah. and me. I sucked him in, right? And he goes, <laughs> there you go. No, I have. And he goes, well, then exactly. I go, that's my point. You know better. You know better than to be standing in the middle of people in wheelchairs trying to get by you. Like, do you not have any sense of humanity? And that's me, like, going off. Wow. You're in some... accomplished, it accomplished something because I didn't see the guy again. Like, right. he went to the back of the line. <laughs> well, in a strange way, you're Batman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I... You know, and, and that's why I'm going to get shot or I'm going to shoot somebody. Oh, man. So those are the moments, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, terrific, man. I'll, I won't uh, take up any more of your time. It was a fascinating chat, as always. And, um, and yeah. good, good luck with the series keep, and everything. Keep an eye out. I got the Doris Kearns Goodwin going to be a guest. Oh, yeah. I love her. I, I used to listen to her on IMUS all the time. Yeah. And yeah, Samantha yeah. Beat will also be a guest. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember we talked about that before on the phone that, um, yeah, Jason, you should have uh, Samantha. You know the thing about Jason that was fascinating was um, you always see on TV – People like Frazier and, and people like that can just spout off the lines of Shakespeare. And Jason yeah. actually did. It was so funny. I'm like, oh, shit, people can really do that, you know, because he was know, a Shakespearean was actor. A, but still, was, I could, It was unbelievable. I was felt so, so funny. stupid. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so did I. I was, just, I was just like, oh, man, I, uh, I, I quoted a couple lines from the Brady Bunch. Yeah. That was pretty good. <laughs> oh, I can. Star Trek, MASH, all that. Yeah, right, totally, right. I can do that. Yeah, that's our wheelhouse. Marsha. Yeah. <laughs> well, all righty, man. Well, uh, good right. talking to you again, and uh, we'll see you in Cincinnati uh, next week, and then um, and then hopefully back again you know, soon, and uh, good luck with the, all the shows and stuff and everything. Yeah, we'll link man, to your... looking forward to the Funny Bone in Cincinnati. It's uh, May, 7th to the, it's May 7th to the 10th. It's going to be great. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to and it. And we'll link to I your podcast. We'll link to your podcast from our page and uh, highly recommended to folks out there. Get the Paul Curio Show in iTunes and uh, from Paul's website. Very easy to find. Oh, yeah. And just can I mention, too, I got yeah. a new CD I just put out. Okay. Called, it's called, oh, that's right. It's not me. It's, it's not me. It's the world. There so you'll you <laughs> hear a lot of these stories of me getting in confrontations on nice. it. Nice. 
You can get it on my website, paulmercurio.com. M-E-C-U-R-I-O. One yes. R, you know, if you exactly. put two R's in, it's that it's, other guy. You don't want to go You don't want to go, no. no NF, what is it? N-S-F-W. <laughs> <laughs> that should be your next uh, but, CD. Paul Mercurio, yeah, exactly. N-S-F-W. All right, man. Well, good talking to you. All right, you too, buddy. Thanks, brother. Bye. Thanks again to Paul Mercurio for being on the show. You can catch Paul May 7th through 10th right across the river from us here in Cincinnati over at the Funny Bone on the levee over there in Newport. It's like a suburb of Cincinnati. Then May 15th and 16th, he's at Governor's at the Brokerage, it looks like, in Belmore, New York. And then it looks like he's off for the summer, although I'm sure he'll be picking up gigs around the Northeast and stuff. I'm going to assume he's out in California working on uh, the show he was talking about or some of the other many, many projects. Or maybe he'll be filling in those dates as those things, you know, are working themselves through. He's uh, back at it in September at the Funny Bone in Omaha. And uh, so just go to paulmercurio.com. That's M-E-C-U-R-I-O. If you go to Mercurio, which actually is his real name, uh, it's something terrible, 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 terrible. There's an Australian uh, adult film actor, and that's all you need to know. So he had the name first, and Paul had to change his name. Anyway, so uh, go see Paul Mercurio uh, live somewhere. And then also, he's also on uh, Fox's Red Eye a lot. He's on all the cable chat shows. He does a lot of those. He's really funny. He does a lot of funny commentary uh, on those shows. And let me see, what else? Oh, the usual credits, of course. Uh, PF Tip Recorder logo designed by Dan Coble. Uh, let me see, what else do we have? Oh, of course, original music composed and performed by John Baropoulos and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me. We're going to uh, move on to the hottest record in the world right now after I tell you to follow me on Twitter at PF66. And to go to Home Shirts and buy a vintage t-shirt. Remember, if you buy it from the Cleveland site, uh, we make a couple of bucks. But if you buy it from any of the sites, it's still helping out. So uh, go to HomeShirts.com. Use the code PFTR. You will save 10%. Alright, so hottest record in the world. Well, I discovered this uh, the way a lot of us are discovering our new music these days. Yes, through a commercial. And uh, the commercial is for Hulu. I don't know how widely this commercial is being shown. I saw it while I was streaming something else, and the commercial for Hulu came on, and it features uh, this new song by a group called Born, and it's called Electric Love. It is our hottest record in the world. So long, and thanks for listening. <laughs> 